So uh, why do we talk about giving all the time? You know, why do we always make this a part of our worship every week? Especially when we, we know that a lot of people have negative impressions of church, that all they talk about is money, all they want is your money. So let me puncture that anxiety bubble right now. And we always remind our guests, we don't expect you to give anything. Uh, we want something for you, not something from you. We don't want anybody to feel pressured to give. But really for us, for God's people, we give because we love. You cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. But if you love God, you want to give back to him. Isn't that true? I mean, last Sunday we talked about when we serve others, we're really serving God. Okay? So you, you serve the Lord, you're serving others. Same way with giving. When you give to the Lord, you're also giving to others. When you're giving to others, you're, you're giving to the Lord as well. By the way, if you missed any of the previous messages, you want to go back on our website, watch them there, or listen to the podcast. But this goes back thousands of years, way back in the Old Testament. Cain and Abel were the first that we're aware of that brought offerings to the Lord and it created the first murder, right? Because Abel brought his best as an offering, which pleased the Lord. Cain did not bring his best, which caused him to be furiously envious and he killed his brother for it. But later we see Noah giving his offerings to the Lord and then Abraham giving a tenth of his possessions, a tithe. We see Jacob doing the same thing. Later under the law of Moses, it becomes something required for the Israelites to do, to give their tithe 10% uh, to support the work of God in Israel and the temple and the priesthood and all that. In fact, they were encouraged to give above their tithing, to, to give free will offerings for the work of God. So under the New Testament, though, we've got a different standard because Jesus comes along, he fulfills all the Old Covenant, Old Testament laws, nails it to the cross. We no longer are Israel with a temple and a priesthood. We have a better covenant through Jesus. And so we are in this position now where we are trying to question, what do we give? How much are we supposed to give? Because we don't give by law, we give by heart. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For everybody. For God loves a cheerful giver. So God loves it when we give freely and joyfully. Our church values joyful stewardship. Now, if you're going to be a grumpy giver, we'll still accept it, but you don't get any credit for it, okay? You may as well hold on to it because it doesn't count with God. And I use the term stewardship because it acknowledges that everything we have is on loan from God. It all belongs to God. And so when we give, we're actually giving back a portion of that to God. He is the owner of everything we have. So I, I want to be clear when I talk about giving back to God. Yes, we're giving to church, but we're not really giving to church, we're giving through the church for the work of God. And that's our big idea, is to give back to God to further his work. And I think most Christians get that because they, they wanna do this because they know the scripture in Acts 20, 35. In fact, everybody, let's say that's out loud together. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, what? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, well, Jesus was the most generous of all and you can't be like Jesus without being generous. And we tell our kids at Christmas time, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive, not only because it does bless others, it meets their needs, it expresses our love and appreciation to them, but it also does something for us, right? It feels good to give. It changes us. It, it breaks the grip of materialism in our lives. And there is the promise of blessing. God is going to bless you when you give. Now, later in heaven, I don't know. 
But I do know it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to give back to you financially. Unlike some of those slick swindlers who use the church to get rich, you know, and they, they promise a kickback from God. If you donate to their ministry, like plant a seed, sow a seed, send us $1,000 and God will give you $2,000 back. Mm -mm, no, God, don't play that game. Don't, don't mess with that. So they are, they are praying on those who are sincerely gullible and those who are selfishly greedy. God doesn't owe you a dime in payback. In fact, my wife was online looking at this mansion the other day that, that sold for over a million and a half dollars to one of those prosperity preachers. And uh, she couldn't believe it, you know, that, that, that he had bought this big of a house. I mean, it... Uh, it's a, it was made the news. She said, is this for real? Did he really pay that much? I said, oh, yeah. When that came out in the news a few years ago, it was a big deal back then. But people have just kind of forgotten about it now. And she says, in the article, it says that he says this is a blessing from God. That's not a blessing from God. God didn't give him that. And I said, you're absolutely right. God didn't give that to him. He paid for that opulence with the money he made off the gospel. He got rich off the gospel. Now, it's nothing new. This has been going on forever. Long ago, Paul, who, by the way, did not receive any pay for his ministry, even though he taught, is perfectly biblical and reasonable that those who preach the gospel or, or have their ministry, they should make their living off the ministry. But he also said, we don't do it to get rich. He says, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. So do some churches teach it wrongly? You bet they do. Do some misuse funds? Yep. Uh, do some churches and, and pastors get obsessed with money? Oh, yeah. Do a few people give everybody in an organization a bad name by their behavior? Happens everywhere. But there's this really healthy, beautiful baby sitting in this dirty bathwater. Make sure you do not throw out the baby because of the narcissism and greed and nonsense that goes on in the name of Jesus because that leaves a bad taste in your mouth if it leaves a bad taste in your mouth think about what it does for Jesus they're doing it in his name and if our church just wanted to get a bunch of money we could do that it would be pretty easy we just go out and sell a bunch of raffle tickets and we would uh, run bingo games and carnivals and do rummage sales and bake sales and we'd bring in the money but it's not about that it's about raising faith and so what we Receive here is just pure, voluntary, free giving. And if people don't give, then it doesn't get done. We just don't do it if God's people don't give. Now, some people are struggling with selfishness and materialism. But I think a lot of Christians want to give. They just feel like they can't because they're upside down financially. They've gotten themselves into a mess. They're in debt. They've got to make all these payments on these services and goods because they haven't put God first in their finances. And so my desire for you, for every Christian, would be to be able to put God first, get out of debt, so that you can experience this financial peace and freedom and be able to be more generous and experience that blessing. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 9, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So giving is a grace. That means it's a supernatural thing. It's not, it doesn't come naturally to us. Just because you can become a Christian doesn't mean you automatically start giving because uh, you didn't carry your wallet or purse with you into the baptistry, right? 
so you, you don't get the connection a lot of time, that not only does your soul belong to the Lord, but everything else belongs to him too. So how do we excel at this? How do we get excellent at it? Same way with anything. How do you get Christians to pray, to read their Bibles, to share their faith, to serve? You got to teach it. How do we get Christians to give? You got to teach it. Jesus taught a lot about money and material possessions because he knew that they were the main competition with God for our souls. Matthew 6, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other. See, it's a heart thing. Or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so if you serve God, you are going to be offended by what I teach today because it's going to attack your God. It's going to strike down your God. Some are struggling financially through no fault of their own. But let's face it, a lot of us get into a mess because we pursue that American dream of prosperity. I want it. I want it now. I want more of it. I want it newer and I want it better. And until we get that materialistic attitude aligned with God, we're, we're not going to experience that kind of financial freedom. Jesus gave us the right perspective on this when he said, look, God knows what you need. God's going to take care of you. He knows you need food and clothes and income. Are you going to trust him for that? It's the unbelievers who get all bent out of shape and worried and worked up over it. And they run after those things, but not you. No, God's people seek first the kingdom of God. In fact, everybody read this out loud together with me. It's, this is one we need to all have right here in our hearts. Here we go. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's waiting on you to put him first. You say, well, if the economy weren't so bad, I'd give more. Come on. You weren't giving when the economy was good. That, that's not the issue. It's not finances. It's heart. God says, put me first. I'll take care of you. So I came across some old notes I had from 22 years ago when Penny and I were these young parents with two little boys, didn't have much money at all. And one Sunday, she had $50 cash in her purse at church and somebody stole it, which is amazing for two reasons. Number one, that we had $50 in cash. <laughs> and two, that there are thieves in the church. But there are, it's nothing new. You know, Judas Iscariot was stealing out of the money bag, right? And so she was all worried and upset about losing that $50. And I said, no, don't worry about it. It's only money. And sure enough, when people started hearing about that, they started giving her money. And some guy I had bought lunch for paid me back for it. And then I got a card that for that day I had baptized a guy earlier in the morning and he gave me a card that had $50 inside. And so I, see, I got to gloat a little bit. See, I told you God's going to take care of us. A couple months later, I'm out driving in the minivan, minivan and I drive over somebody's muffler in the middle of the street. And it cost about $140 to fix. But can I tell you, a few days later in the mail, I got a check from Leadership Journal, a magazine that I had submitted a, an illustration for, and they published it, and they gave me a check for $140. A little while later, Penny's out driving. She sideswipes a mailbox, rips off the mirror from our car. And I got in the mail another check from another magazine I wrote an article for for 75 bucks. So Penny says, come on, the lesson is don't let us drive your cars. I mean, that's... <laughs> No, I'm not saying, I love those stories, but that doesn't mean that you're going to experience that too, all right? Giving, it, it becomes like an act of faith where you're trusting that God will meet your needs. And if you're struggling with that, I want to pray for you. And we have people here who would love to pray with you personally. We have a food pantry open every Wednesday that's, that's helping dozens of families. 
all the time. We have for our members a care fund, and that's an acrostic that stands for Church, Emer Church Help for Emergency. Uh, what's the acrostic? Church Assistance to Relieve Emergencies. And take advantage of that if you're in need. We want to help you with that. But what we really want for you is to experience that financial freedom and peace and get out of debt and be able to provide for your kids instead of hoping that they're going to have to provide for you, that you put Jesus first in your finances so that he has your heart. Okay. We want to be generous disciples. And to help you do that, we actually offer free financial coaching. We have an elder and we have a minister on staff who have taken training in order to help you with that. So text the word HOPE to 734-890-5454 and they would be happy to help you. Because I want you to understand, this is about you. I'm not talking about this because of the church. We're doing fine. We're financially doing great as a church because you have been faithful. It's been wonderful to witness over the past year during COVID how God's people have come through. And we're doing fine. It's not about this church. It's about you. Because I look at those national studies over and over showing that the typical Christian only gives about 2.5% of their income to God's work. Now going back to the Old Testament, remember what the Jews were required to give? 10%? A tithe? What was the point of all that? It was to acknowledge that God is the owner of everything. The, the tenth was a symbol of the total, that it's all his. And so I'm going to return a tenth of that to honor you and to express my love for you and my trust that you're going to meet my needs. And Because I believe that 90% with God will go further than 100% without God, right? So think about that. If most Christians are only given 2.5%, what could we do if Christians were doing at least what the Jews were doing in the Old Testament, giving 10%? We would have four times more funds for God's work in this world. That would be incredible. In fact, I saw this one statistic. I don't know how true this is, but man, is it convicting. That if every Christian in America lost their job and started receiving welfare payments and tithed off the welfare payments, giving in the church would go up 35%. I mean, that's, that's the situation we're in. And Jesus says, look, I'm not telling you you got to give a tithe because we don't have a temple to support. We don't have a priesthood. This isn't about the nation of Israel. This is about the work of the church. I've already nailed the law to the cross. But did Jesus really come to lower the standards? I mean, I think about when he taught on things like adultery. He said, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even lust. I mean, he raised the bar, didn't he? So it's hard for me to imagine that Jesus would come and say, you guys have a new covenant, a better covenant with better blessings, so I'm going to lower the bar. I'm going to drop things down for you guys. I would think he wants to elevate those things for us, don't you? That I still want to do at least what they did. I want to give my best. I want to give my first right off the top. The amount we give really is between you and God, and it's more of a heart decision than a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision. Because they say money talks, right? So what does your money say about what you think of God and how you value him? What does Jesus say? Matthew 6, 21. Everybody together, let's say this out loud. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so it's a heart check. Heart follows money. And we want to put our hearts into the things of God to grow our hearts bigger and larger. And so that's why I, I still 
I think 10% is still a good benchmark. It's not something we are required to do by law. Don't let any pastor or church tell you, you have to give 10%. That's not true. But it's something Penny and I have practiced our entire married lives. And it, it, again, it's, it's a matter of not obligation, but of desire. I want to. I want to invest in what matters and what will last. I want to invest my treasures in heaven. What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that we're taking our treasures with us, right? You don't hook up a U-Haul to a hearse. It's talking about sending it on ahead, investing in the things that last. And the only thing that I know of that lasts is what? Souls. So it's about trying to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. We know that because Jesus told a parable about a servant who was about to get fired. And so he cut a pretty shrewd deal with his master's creditors he, he cut their bills down why so that he could when he gets fired have a nice golden parachute he could feather his nest and those guys would take care of him and that's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 16 he says use your worldly resources for what to benefit others and make friends then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now, I know that sounds weird. It's like Jesus is saying, use your money to buy friends. But he's really saying, use your money to make disciples because when you get fired from this world, and you will, feather your nest, have a golden parachute ready for you, have people waiting for you in heaven that are there because of your generosity. They are your inheritance. So we're called to give cheerfully and proportionately as we have been prospered Paul reminds us in first Corinthians on the first day of every week each of you should set aside a sum of money how much how much Paul tell me no won't tell you just in keeping with your income proportionately saving it up so that when I come no collections will have to be made so that's how we offer up our gifts to the Lord now some people think they have to pay up like you know it's law it's not it's grace. So we don't have to pay up. Some people feel like they got to cough up the money. You know, like it's a cover charge, like that's the cost of doing business with God. No, it's not that either. Some people truthfully have to scrounge up the money. Others of us could beef it up because God has blessed us with even more. But the point is, it's not about the amount. We're not all going to give the same amount, but we can give with the same heart. And we can all have equal sacrifice. So... It's not the amount you give. It's really more about the amount that you have and the amount you keep. So, for example, let's say a family makes $200,000 a year. And they give $10,000 to the Lord, which feels very generous, right? But not necessarily. Because it's about how much you have and how much you keep for yourself. Whereas a family that makes, let's say, $50,000 a year gives $5,000 to the Lord. Now, they only gave half of what the other family gave, but they were twice as generous, and, and I keep seeing these stats, too, that say the more income people have, the less generous they are, the less percentage they give. We see that all the way back in the New Testament. Jesus was in Jerusalem looking at all the people dropping their, their money into the temple treasury. He was watching them. And he saw these wealthy people dropping in a bunch of money. But then he eyes this widow who drops in just two coins. And he says to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it's this poor widow who's put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So that's real generosity, right? Not the amount, but the heart and the proportion. 
Around here, we see giving more as a journey. It's not like an all or nothing thing, like you're either tithing or you're failing or you're sinning, no. We're saying everybody's got a next step to take in that journey with God. For example, you may start out as a rookie giver. You know, somebody who decides to give something to God for the first time, trust him and the leaders of the church with that gift. That's a big deal. We celebrate rookie givers. Yay, rookie givers. Great. All right. Next, you might become an occasional giver. You, you give on a, a casual basis, like now I'm, I'm doing it more often when, I'm, when I feel like I'm able to. But then you become a consistent giver. You begin giving as a priority or as a recurrent or automatic gift, you know, because we tend to automate what's important. Then you would become an increasing giver. You begin to ask, is my giving a high priority? What's really first place in my life? Because I look at my, beer, my bills and I say, why am I giving so much money for the, the phone bill and the internet bill and the cable bill compared to what I'm giving to God? What, what really is important to me? And then you become a sacrificial giver. And, and you question, am I really giving in a way that changes me? Is it causing my lifestyle to be different to reflect the transformation Christ is making in me, that I would downsize and minimize materially so that I can give to more things that matter eternally. So it's a journey from rookie to generosity rock star. And everybody's got a next step to take. So where are you on that journey? What are you sacrificing for Christ and his church and his work? Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians to say the point's this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So instead of saying, how much do I have to give? Maybe you want to ask, how much do I want to be blessed? How much do I want to reap? Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so what's the size of your measure? Because you can't outgive God. When we give, it is an opportunity to partner with God. He is inviting us into his work in the world, the most important work there is. The, the greatest cause in the world is the cause of Christ because we are offering free to the world this message of salvation that nobody else or nothing else can give them this hope of eternal life. And so when the church is alive, when it's growing, there's a need for funds to do God's work. If a church doesn't need any funds, it means either there's a wealthy person underwriting it or the church is dying. So I'm glad when a church is genuinely in need of funds because it's a sign of life. So give back to God to further his work proportionately, regularly, generously, and cheerfully. And when you give here at South Point, your funds are going to win down river to Christ by creating Christians who are committed, connected, and contributing. And for many year after year after year, week after week after week, people are coming to Christ. We're seeing baptisms practically every week, including three more last week who gave their lives to Christ in baptism. And I want you to see that connection. Your generosity helps to make that possible. So whether you're giving online or you're um, giving in the boxes at the back of the, of the room here, or you mail in your check, it's making a difference. I mean, there are people's lives that are getting put back on the path to recovery. There are families who, who are uh, having their, their homes put back together. Help and hope is being brought to the poor. Kids are learning about this God who loves them and has a plan and a will for their life. I mean, can you imagine having a church like this when you were a kid? I mean, all the great stuff that they're doing in that kid's ministry, would it have made a difference in your life if you had gotten to experience something like that? Every week, the students, the teens here 
are learning about this God who has a purpose for their life and there's belonging and they can find their identity, not in the garbage of this world, but find their identity in Christ. He wants to use them to change this world for his kingdom. They don't have to make the same mistakes we did. They can do better. God loves us so much that he gave and yes, he gives to us materially and, uh, and physically and all those things, but most of all, he gave his son to pay the price for our sins, to cover the debt that we could not pay by giving his life for us. And if you would reach out in faith and receive that as a gift, your life can be changed. To learn to trust God, to meet your needs. And this is the greatest need of all. So don't turn this gift down because I don't know, it sounds too good to be true. There's gotta be some strings attached. No, it's already bought and paid for. And so if you have yet to make that decision to follow Christ, we're going to invite you to do that, to text your name to the number you see on the screen or email us. Because I have people, that, that friends here who would love to answer your questions, pray with, with you, get you ready for baptism. They'll, they'll meet with you after the service up here at the front or out in the lobby at the point. They will help you make the best decision ever to turn from your sin, your self-efforts, and your self-righteousness and embrace Jesus, receive that gift of salvation. He offers you the things in life that money cannot buy, the only things that ultimately matter and will last. I hope you'll receive it. Let's pray about it. Lord, I pray that you would help those who are in need right now. That, uh, physical needs, God, we're praying for those who are sick, dealing with COVID or, or surgeries or cancer, whatever it is, God, that you would bring healing to their bodies. Provide for their needs materially, Lord. Find them jobs if they're out of work. Give them food, shelter, clothes, whatever they, they need. Open doors for them. But Lord, we all want to put you first because some of us are fighting. We're resisting that. We're skeptical that you'll take care of us. So, Lord, would you prove yourself to them? that if they seek first you and your kingdom, you'll add those things to them. Bless them, Lord. And, and help us to step out in faith and not fear. Show us how to be givers and be like Jesus and to manage what you've given us wisely because it all belongs to you. Break this stranglehold of materialism and, and free us. God, I pray for those right now who need to receive the best gift ever, the gift of eternal life in Jesus. Move on their hearts to make a decision to follow Jesus because we pray it in his name, amen.